October 4, 1957, the Russians launched the first ever satellite into space, Sputnik 1, triggering a world space race that lasted for decades. After years of very little publicity, today's headlines are again riddled with news of SpaceX launches and Starlink satellite ambitions. In this episode, we discuss why, despite terrestrial communication enhancements like fiber optics and wireless innovation, including 5G, some of the biggest innovators on the planet, namely Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, are once again looking to the sky to power their future plans. Welcome back to Techie and the Blonde. Hi, Max. Hi. I remember when we first met and you had mentioned that you worked with satellites when you started your career in technology a long, long time ago. <laughs> Can you share? With was it really that long ago? Uh, yes. <laughs> Can you share was. what that was all about with our listeners? Sure. So when I started out in technology, my first opportunity or my first job was in satellites. And I used to actually set up what's called VSAT terminals or very small aptitude terminals, which is kind of a contradiction in terms because some of these satellite dishes that we'd set up were the size of a small swimming pool. Really? But yeah, but that's, that's exactly what it was. We'd set up these dedicated satellite links, uh, mainly for carrying voice between the U.S. and third world countries like Central and South America, as well as Africa. Yes, you have told me some pretty crazy stories. And the one that I think is probably the craziest was your story about being in the Congo. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. That, that was, was when you had that long hair, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. I had long hair back then in a ponytail. Yeah, that was what got me. <laughs> it, was, it was more of a man bun, but yeah, it was, it was pretty long. That's anyway, I, I hadn't thought about that for a while, but... I think it was about 20 years ago. In fact, I think it was in January of 2001. And I was down in the Democratic Republic of Congo installing a VSAT terminal uh, for the local government, actually. It was a government contract. And we were installing a dish on top of the largest building in Kinshasa, which mm -hmm. is the main city of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, which was the water ministry building. And it was me, and I, I still remember this guy, Joe. He was an American satellite engineer. And it was the two of us. It wasn't the first time we worked together, but it was the, the two of us um, in the water ministry building, basically on the roof, installing this antenna. And, and back then when we, we'd have to figure out how to hit the satellite, and the way we did that is we'd actually call mission control. So like every satellite company has mission control. We'd call them in and they tell us where to move the dish to That's to crazy. hit a satellite. And those satellites were uh, geosynchronous, which means they were 22,500 miles straight up in the air. So we'd have to hit something 22,500 miles up in the air um, by with someone guiding us over a phone call, where telling they, us where, where to go. They? When you were calling. They were predominantly, depending on the satellite operator, either in Houston or some of them were in Mexico. Uh, the Mexican government actually had a big initiative around satellites at the time. So, yeah, so we were in the DRC 
or Democratic Republic of Congo, and we're installing this dish. And it's, I think it was like January 16th or so. I remember this, this guy showed up. He was like in full military uniform, holding a big machine gun. And he started talking to us, telling us something. The problem is the Democratic Republic of Congo speaks French. Yes. Which I do not. do not speak French. <laughs> so, and no one you were with spoke French? No one. It was basically just me and Joe. Wouldn't that be something that you would maybe want to have? Hindsight is twenty twenty, <laughs> But in that moment in time, I had no idea what this guy was saying. So we kind of shooed him away. He came back 20 minutes later again. This time he seemed a little angrier. We shoot him away again. The third time he came back with some local uh, partners of ours that did speak English. And their first words to us were, what are you still doing here? The prime minister of the Democratic Republic of Congo was just assassinated mm -hmm. by his bodyguard and they're shutting the country down. They're putting a military curfew in place. So that, that was the beginning of a very interesting night and what became two weeks after for me. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, that, so that night we rushed back to the hotel. Uh, we only had 10 minutes left before curfew and they kept telling us you have to get back to the hotel. And we said, why? They said, well, the last time this happened, because apparently it happens more than once in some of these countries, uh, they killed all the foreigners, hmm. which is kind of a bad, bad news for us. Uh, so we got back to the hotel and um, I remember going to sleep that night. And you went to sleep? Well, I, I was pretty tired. I just laid you down. Would yeah. You would go to sleep. I, you know I could sleep anywhere. I would anywhere. be like shaking in the corner, yeah. crying. I was, I was like, I'm kind of tired. I was running down 15 flights of stairs with, with all this weighted down testing equipment that we had when they told us to get out of there immediately. Um, so I'm going to sleep and about two in the morning, my phone rings And I still remember, I picked up the phone and the only thing I heard was some guy in a British accent ask me, do you speak English? And I thought for a second, I said, you know, is this, is this like a trap? Should I answer the question? And I said, yeah, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to answer it. And I said, yes, yes I speak you're English. You're in a hotel where they're killing foreigners. Just answer yeah. the question. Yeah. He's like, do you speak English? I'm like, yes, I speak English. And his next words were... You're live on BBC Radio. Can you tell us what's happening in the Democratic Republic of Congo right now? And this this whole interview of, of about 20 minutes went on that's somewhere in the BBC archives of me talking that's to cool. some guy on the radio. So, yeah. But how'd you get out? So they locked the country down for two weeks. We were stuck in this hotel for two weeks, surrounded by military. And after two weeks, we heard that they were going to open the airport for one day because they were bringing back the body of the prime minister that day. So we basically rushed to the airport, uh, walked up to the first counter that I saw, and I carried a lot of cash going into Africa. I'd learned from previous trips kind of cash is king in Africa. So I went to the ticket agent and I said, what do you have getting out of here right now? And she said, nothing. And I said, no, there's, I heard there's a flight coming in. She said, yeah, there's one flight, it's sold out. I said, you know what? I'll give you $4,000 for two tickets to get out of here right now. And she took the money very happily and put us on this plane that I think started its life as a 727. Uh, but I still remembered looking out the window and seeing duct tape on the wing oh, of this plane as it was attempting to take off. 
Uh, we finally made it out of there. It stopped at three or four other African countries before landing in Johannesburg, South Africa. And that was eventually how we got out of there. Wow. That's pretty insane. Pretty that was crazy story. Crazy times. Yeah, crazy 20 times. years. That's crazy. It was the long hair and the and these <laughs> stories that were the hook. That's what got me. That, I think that's you what know, got you. I know you, you yeah. thought it was the embroidered shirts. But <laughs> <laughs> really, it was the long hair. It was hair the long hair and the stories. Yes. yes. <laughs> Whatever it took. Whatever it so took. how different than satellites being launched today I mean, were, what was what you were doing? And what is the problem that it's all trying to solve? So back then we were hitting, like I said, a target that was 22,500 miles up in the air, which was what, what's called geosynchronous orbit. Or what that really means is the satellite is traveling and moving with the Earth as the Earth rotates. So it's always staying at a fixed location and it's really high up in the air. The satellites we're hearing about today with Starlink and other companies launching satellites are actually what's called LEO or low, low Earth orbit satellites. And they don't operate in a synchronous, they operate in a non-geosynchronous format, which means that um, they're moving faster than the Earth in order to keep themselves at that altitude. The problem that it's solving is it's actually giving us a new means of communication, a new way to get access to communication virtually anywhere around the world uh, by having this link or these, these multiple satellites that are constantly handing off communication, uh, whether it be a data session or a phone call from one to the other as they move past our atmosphere and circle the earth every 90 to 120 minutes. So completely different than what we used to know as this fixed location way, way, way out in space. Would they interfere with the original satellites that were launched that are further out? Or they're just obsolete once the lower latency ones? Well, it's never obsolete. It's almost like when we talk about 5G versus IoT. Uh, everything has a purpose. So those very high altitude, uh, synchronous or geosynchronous satellites still serve a very important purpose. They're still used for secure data applications like transmitting information from um, oil delivery methods or, or oil and gas and mining and other types of industries. Uh, the low level ones are more about what you and I use every day. It's how fast can we stream on our phones? How fast can we get data anywhere? But the, they don't obstruct the other satellites? Well, the, well, the way, the way so, so it's kind of like when I used to hear arguments about, well, the airspace is too crowded. You, you know, planes are everywhere. Well, you know, the, the, the exercises look up right now. How many planes are above your head? So it's all really about mapping and it's all about right. knowing what to put where so that it never interferes, what, that one transport doesn't interfere with another. What about latency? Isn't delay always the major drawback to satellite communication in the first place? Yeah, so, so we used to think that we had this super fast um, transmission back then when I was installing satellites, we used to say it only takes a quarter of a second to transmit from an earth station all the way up 22,500 miles straight up in the air. And then it takes another quarter second to transmit back down to wherever's the destination station. And now we kind of look back and say, well, 500 milliseconds, which is a half a second or 600 milliseconds is actually a lot. Uh, we're used to when we're using 5G and other 
transmission. We're used to something more like 20 milliseconds. Like, what are you even saying? <laughs> what, what is going on with the milliseconds and the speed? Like, say it again. Well, remember, low latency allows us to transmit more accurate data right. in a faster pace. Yes. So if data is too slow, it's almost like if you spoke to someone and your voice only got to their phone a half a second later. Okay. It'd almost be an echo. See this, I can understand. Yeah, that, that's why I'm here to explain it. So, this, so you don't want the echo in the conversation. It's the same thing with oh, data. You yes. don't want a delay in the data transmission because that delays everything along the path. Ultimately, what that means is that our eight-year-old will stop telling me that his game is so glitchy, Dad. It's so glitchy. <laughs> yes. By putting the satellites lower in orbit and that 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 LEO that I mentioned before, that low Earth orbit satellite yes. that Starlink and other uh, providers are launching, they're operating at between 330 miles straight up to about 1,200 miles straight up. So nowhere near the 22,500 right. miles we used to operate in, which means we could bring down that delay, that latency from five or 600 milliseconds all the way down to 20 milliseconds. And now actually Starlink announced that they're going to cut that in half within the next year and bring it all the way down to 10 milliseconds. That's insane. We've spoken about 5G on previous episodes. How will the satellites work to make 5G better and will they benefit only internet, home and business or will they benefit cell phones? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So I think when we spoke about 5G, on previous episodes, we talked about the fact that it's really a culmination or a mesh of different networks. Uh, certain satellite operators, uh, most notably Starlink, is specifically focused on launching internet services and providing them directly to users and homes. There are other satellite operators out there, like uh, companies like Link, L-Y-N-K, that are launching satellites that you have to think of as almost uh, cell towers in space. And those are really benefit directly anyone with a 5G phone. So a little bit of everything. So how are those companies able to launch rockets? Are they working along with SpaceX or are they a private company also launching their own rockets into space? Yeah, so I think they're, they're not launching their own rocket, but they're almost bidding out what's the most competitive way to transport it. SpaceX is one uh, company out there doing it. Obviously, there's there's others, including governments that are bidding for that same business. What they're really trying to achieve, though, is an, a way to launch their satellites into low Earth orbit and be able to provide a service that they can charge for. So will Starlink have data caps or will any of these other companies issue data caps on their service? I think that's a good question. Right now, there's no plans for Starlink to have a data cap. But again, Starlink is a for-profit business. Right. They're a commercial company. So I think like everything else, it all depends on whether they're able to achieve good returns on their investment in their current model or they need to make changes. Starlink, once they are up there, literally, and running, which they are, as of now, there are links up there providing service. People will need to subscribe, though, to get the service. And then SpaceLink has already come out with pricing. So you'll not only have to subscribe, but you will also have to purchase the SpaceLink kit that will allow for the actual connection. 
Elon Musk is actually offering free service right now to a Texas school district, which is pretty cool. That's very interesting, except they're only going to be able to use it a certain portion of the day because he doesn't have all 14,000 satellites up there now. Keep in mind, these satellites are moving at about 17,000 miles an hour. I hope it's during the school hours. I I (laughs) hope so, too. Most, Most probably not. Because it's, you have to think of it as each one of those satellites is only overhead for 30 minutes. And then it's, it's basically moving that data transmission to the next satellite. And it'll keep going until the ring he has up there has expired and goes around the Earth. So, so that, that's all dead time. That means that gives them, it gives them internet for the school day? Pro- probably, yeah, well, probably a bunch him. of hours, but not, not indefinitely for sure. Right. And not consistently. Are there any concerns or dangers with launching over 12,000 satellites circling the Earth in low orbit? Isn't it getting a little crowded up there? Yeah, so there's many concerns around that, obviously. The first is space debris, right? There's a lot of stuff out there over the many, many years of international agencies from all over the, the globe launching stuff up there and leaving debris up there. Well, that's like one cool thing about SpaceX is that they're bringing their rockets back home. It is. And they're landing them, refurbishing them, and using them again for the next launch. So that's actually a pretty... The ultimate way to recycle. Yes. And it's actually pretty cool to watch when you see them landing. Yes. Which which is something I never thought I would see. I missed it. You watched it. I saw it. it. You watched it, of course. (laughs) I saw it, for sure. So critics say that all the satellites could actually ultimately make it more difficult for future space endeavors. And although SpaceX says they've equipped all their satellites to automatically move out of the way when objects are flying around, we don't want any of those collisions. Like, what was that movie? Gravity? Where Gravity, George, George, George Clooney, Clooney yeah. flew away. Yeah. It was awful. And that was because of shrapnel that caused a cascade of collisions. Well, think, think of the issue we're trying to solve for now. So you've got these satellites, like I said, that are traveling at around 17,000 miles per hour. They're 500 pounds and they're about the size of a really large dining table. Um, that's, that's a projectile. So yes. that's not something that you want to ever get out of control 300 miles above the earth or, or up to 1,200 miles above the earth. And it's definitely not something that you want to get hacked. So there's both a concern with the, the science of propulsion and space, but there's also a concern around cybersecurity, which is a big deal. So having said that, who regulates all of this above us with all these low Earth orbit satellites circling the Earth every 90 to 120 minutes? It's not just U.S. airspace that's an issue anymore. I mean, I know that not since 1967 with the Outer Space Treaty was... Um, there are any agreements based on space. And that only basically said that they banned weapons of mass destruction in space. So how have, like, what's, who's regulating, who's policing the space? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. In the U.S., it's a combination of NASA, the FAA, and the newly formed Space Force. <laughs> you love Space Force. I love Space Force. I'm not just talking about the uh the Steve, show? Oh, yeah, oh, Steve well, show on Amazon. There is an actual Space Force that's that's actually headed by a U.S. general. And their mission is really to monitor both end-of-life satellites and debris that's out there, as well as active satellites. And they're developing new forms of radar to do that, to provide safety in space. Of course, 
like you said, these satellites are circling the earth every 90 to 120 minutes. Yeah. So it's not just the U.S. problem. Right. Every country has its own space agency or agencies that help monitor and uh, police what's out there and, and to make sure that we don't have that oh, George right. Clooney experience. Yeah, because if you think about it, this Space Force is a branch of the military. That's right. It is. So it could be said that it violates that treaty that was put together in 1967. Although you could also say that it's our interpretation of a peaceful purpose that does not exclude military. Yeah, I think it really comes back to funding. I hate to say, but everything comes back to money. And the U.S. sees the concept (laughs) of having these low Earth orbit satellites operating at such fast speeds as a danger or potentially a danger to national security. So they're willing to invest and stand up a new branch of the military just to police it. And I know you love my fun facts, but you, <laughs> I you love like to your fun share facts. your fun facts. But I do think it's interesting that Jim Bridenstein, which is, uh, he's the NASA's chief, announced that he's actually gonna be stepping down upon Biden taking office. So not to get political, but it is an interesting thought that he is choosing to step down now. Maybe he's moving on to what he knows is the future. Maybe he got a better job offer from SpaceX. Maybe Elon (laughs) and him have been talking. It's very possible. So SpaceX and NASA, what what is the difference here? What is the difference between SpaceX and NASA? Well, one's a public entity, which means it's not for profit and it's supported by us supported by taxpayer dollars, really for the discovery of space and innovation for uh, space travel. NASA. NASA. The other one, SpaceX, is a commercial company that's a for-profit. What they're trying to do, even with uh, Starlink, which uh, Elon Musk himself said would cost about $10 billion to complete, but he expects to generate about three to four times the revenue in comparison, so 30 to $40 billion. In fact, in enough, he said, to be able to fund his Mars trip aspirations, <laughs> which is interesting. So it is all about profit, whether he reinvest that profit in future discovery in Mars or in other things, it's really meant to make money. Right, so some people think the two actually compete, but they most definitely do not. They are working together. SpaceX has received a multi-billion dollar contract from NASA in 2008. On the other side, when the space shuttle program ended, NASA was able to have SpaceX build and fly their cargo vehicles to the International Space Station. They actually, this year, were the first private company to send NASA astronauts into outer space. Ever. That's that's a pretty pretty incredible feat. We no longer will be dependent on foreign space programs. That's right. I think... NASA realized that it's more economical and more efficient to let certain elements of space travel be outsourced to a private U.S.-based entity. In this case, SpaceX won that contract and are uh, that vehicle for them. So I think that they realize it's better value for taxpayers. And from a SpaceX perspective, it's it's better business so all around. Elon Musk plans on taking humans to Mars by 2026. So Max, the question is, would you go to Mars? Would I go to Mars? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful with how I answer yeah. this because I think you know the answer, but 
As long as you, you come go. with me <laughs> and there's a way back, it's not a one-way ticket, I would go. The question I'm, is, would you go? No. I'm perfectly very, <laughs> I'm comfortable. It's I'm, like an extended family I'm, vacation. I am very comfortable here on earth. Besides that, first of all, it, no, it takes six to eight months to get there. No one's talking about the G-forces. I mean, I can't even ride a local roller coaster without closing my eyes and screaming a little bit. And then what about <laughs> the radiation? What? No, I mean, isn't that like a lot of radiation exposure? But you would be an astronaut and a Martian. Okay. That would be a I'm first. I'm like going to be an Earthling forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Max, that brings us to this or that. This is when I throw some things at you and you just tell me which one you like, this or that. Throw okay. them at me. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Like you're a supercharged satellite? <laughs> exactly. Mac or PC? Mac. Venmo or PayPal? Venmo. Hunt for Red October or Patriot Games? Oh, tough one. Uh, Hunt for Red October. Book or ebook? Ebook. Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. Hot air balloon or helicopter? Helicopter. Apollo 13 or Argo? Oh, another I tough mean, one. I love them both so much. <laughs> I guess Apollo 13. Sparkling or still? Sparkling. Beach or pool? Beach. Stay up late or wake up early? Wake up early. Perfect teeth or perfect hair? Both. Ride a bike with me on your handlebars or a motorcycle with me on the back? Oh, I like the motorcycle with oh, you on the God back. Help me. <laughs> All right, drinks, deal, or delete? Okay. Who are you going to have drinks with? Who would you like to make a deal? And who are you just deleting? Neil deGrasse Tyson, Jerry Jones, Bob Iger, Disney CEO. I'm going to uh, have drinks with Neil because cool. he's amazing and he's such an awesome scientist yes he's very cool <laughs> i'm going here we go again i'm going to make a deal with the ceo of disney okay because i think with disney plus they're cool. making a comeback oh definitely yeah. yeah wait you're getting rid of jerry jones i mean he's like well i mean in my defense he's he's like 100 so <laughs> i think i think i'm I think I'm okay. Oh. I think I'm okay either way, even though I think I think he's a good guy, but you know, I am a Giants fan, so. All right, Max. Well, I will see you when you get back from Mars. <laughs> you mean when we get back from Mars? No, but I will miss you. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. If you have any questions on what we've discussed or something you would like to hear more about, please email us at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.